0: Hello and welcome to PA podcast number 26. This week's guest is Alan Higgins, UK CIO at Coots. Alan talks us through why Donald Trump is right about the strength of the dollar. He reveals the big time growth manager that's a core holding in portfolios and why he continues to hold a hundred year Mexican bond. (laughs) Uh, Alan, uh, great to have you with us. Um, We've seen a massive rally in uh, risk assets uh, in recent years. Um, Are you, given the performance, particularly of equities, are are you bullish or bearish on markets at the moment?
1: Direct question, Gary. Nice to speak to you. So overall still bullish, but let's, let's have a look at that question. There's been a massive rally in US equities, less of a rally in UK equities until last year, and less of a rally in terms of European and Japanese equities. So it's been a really US dominated rally rather than generic rally. So what does that mean? So when you therefore, when you look at the markets, surprisingly, you can still find a lot of value in the likes of Europe,
0: Asia, EM, Japan. Okay. I mean, you talk about the US there. Uh, We've also had a huge rally from the dollar. Uh, How are you managing currency risk in your portfolios?
1: Okay, so, so currency risk, you could say at Coots, we, are, we have an awful lot of sterling mandates. So fortunate to have a lot of sterling mandates, because what does that mean? Investing internationally last year in particular gave some great windfall gains to our clients, so returns were very strong. Our view now is that um, when it comes to, let's focus on sterling dollars, and sterling more generally, and I'll come back to the dollar, sterling is really undervalued here. You, you, our view is that you've got to build up sterling positions here, and that's what we're doing against a wide range of currencies. Why? Well, actually, sterling is a currency that works well on so-called purchasing power parity. Um, you might be familiar with the Big Mac index. How much yeah. does it cost to buy a Big Mac? I think it's up at around 160 versus the dollar, for example, although don't um, change all your currency on the basis of that. Secondly, uh, as we know, the UK economy is performing reasonably resiliently. Um, and there's an awful lot of speculative shorts. And when we put that all together. Uh, we. You know, were relatively positive on sterling. Coming to the dollar more broadly, well, um, we think Trump's right. You know, uh, the dollar is too strong versus the Euro versus emerging markets in currencies, including the Chinese one. So um, our, our bias is to be a, a little bit positive on those currencies versus the dollar right now.
0: Okay. And, and how you say you're positive on sterling, how would you access?
1: Okay, so that's a uh, you know, classic, uh, sometimes can be difficult in a wealth management um, construct in terms of expressing pure currency views. So how can we do it? Well, we have um, two, broadly two categories of clients, our multi-asset funds, our unitized funds, uh, very straightforward, currency forwards, very, very easy to hedge. Uh, the other discretionary portfolios of which we have many thousands here at Coutts, uh, not always easy to do currency forwards, often a credit line is needed. So there we're looking for uh, currency hedge share classes. As I'm sure you're aware, they've been available in yen for many, many years, although ironically, um, sterling yen is, is, is one place you wanted to, be, to leave open. But we're seeing them, for example, I, I, I can say this because we're open architecture, we, sh- we show our uh, portfolios. Right now we have uh, Jo Hambro European equity hedge share class. We have GLG Japan hedge share class. So that's one way of doing it. And the other way is just being very, very careful in terms of now non-Sterling assets. It's quite a high bar in I view investing from a
0: sterling base to buy non-Sterling assets.
1: Hmm.
0: And you mentioned European equities are an area quite bullish. Um, in terms of finding hedged share classes for European funds, is, is that easy? Is it becoming easier now or, or is it still quite hard? I think it's still
1: quite hard. So it's not a common thing to do. And um, it's partly kind of almost culturally. I mean, uh, an- another part of my my other job, um, I, I work with the the Nestle pension schemes in Switzerland and in here in the UK. And, and, you know, it's just the contrast. Imagine managing money from a Swiss franc base. You've always got the currency going up. And, and And therefore, currency hedging is almost the first thing on your list. In the UK, we're more accustomed to sterling going down. So it's not exactly a priority. And therefore, in the industry, you don't see that much in the way of Euro euro hedge funds. There are a few out there. It just so happens, we like the Joe Hamburg European Equity Fund, and the fact it's got a head share class, so it ticks the boxes. But you know we've got the French election to come, and um, it's, not, no, nowhere, it's not certain that, it, that the Euro would necessarily go down. But our view is that don't try to be too clever and buy sterling against a
0: broad range of currencies. Okay, and in terms of European equities, where are you seeing the best opportunities? So, broadly everywhere. Um,
1: we do select individual countries sometimes, uh, and we do even buy individual equities, but we tend to be a customer of the fund management industry when it comes to markets like European equities. A slight tilt more towards value, very slight. We're still in some small cap funds like, um, like the Bearings uh, Select Fund, uh, so we still have some exposure there, um, but J.O. Hambro is edging towards value. Uh, and um, just finally, within, within Europe, we also have exposure to financials. So we've either done that directly through the ETF, getting exposure to, the, to, to European banks via the Luxor Bank, Luxor, uh, bank ETF, or um, we have a small slither, we own the Fidelity Financials Fund. And via the Fidelity Financials Fund, we get we get a we get a sliver of European
0: equities as well, uh, European financials as well. Yeah. I suppose financials is, is the ultimate kind of value sector, yeah. isn't it? Uh, what, what what's your take on on the value versus growth debate that, that seems to have dominated or dominated twenty sixteen and, and into twenty seventeen?
1: Yeah, it was absolutely brutal in the UK uh, after after years of the UK being a positive alpha market in terms of. In terms of funds management, it was absolutely it was destroying in 2016. Um, the way we look at it, our, our biases look to pick up more value. Uh, if, we, if the truth truth being held, when we look through our portfolios, and again, just to, to reiterate, I'm not I'm not telling anything that's not available to all Coots clients. We, we're open architecture in terms of the the funds we own. We do own have big weightings in funds like. Um, Linzel train and Investec UK Alpha, which are more on the quality or growth at a reasonable price. So we're not, we, we don't have a huge slug in the value area. Yes, we have financials. So we are looking to bring on a value fund very shortly, actually, to kind of balance that out a bit, because we do think after a long period of outperformance from growth, it is right to, to orientate in this stronger growth environment towards value.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and this, uh, positive outlook for, for value strategies, does that extend to emerging markets as well?
1: So in terms of emerging markets, mm, a little bit. Um, I say a little bit because um, just looking, the proof is always what you own, and unless you're going to change it, right? Because um, one of the funds we use, which is dimensional, has a bit of a value bias. So picking up the value premium. But to be fair, um, the, the, the other fund that we we're allocating to right now, Fidelity, is very much in the growth and quality camp. Uh, so what we're, we're in EM, it's a bit more balanced. And uh, so uh, along, alongside that, I suppose the Rubico fund, which is also uh, on there, plays the, the low vol aspect of EM, but also has a little bit of value bias. So we are playing it, but it's not as if... We're balancing the portfolio, Gary. It's not as if we're saying, right, we just own these two value managers. We've also got quite a, a big-time growth manager in there. Because it's, it's very hard to time. And, and I know the team back at Coots have tried to see, is there any quant method for, for deciding getting value in growth? Or, or even signals um, from quant. And, and nothing really works. So it becomes a qualitative a judgment call, which is pretty hard. Um, we're doing it but with balance in the portfolio rather than just putting off the whole portfolio into value.
0: Okay I mean you mentioned hard calls, uh, fixed income is, is, <coughs> is where the really tough decisions are, are being made at the moment. Uh, how are you managing duration risk?
1: Okay so we have been willing to take quite a lot of duration in the past, we've been quite contrarian in terms of investments, I mentioned we bought financials. That we kind of, as it is one of our investment principles to look to be value and contrarian. So we've had um, long-dated credit funds, funds that used to be uh, that should be owned by pension funds rather than wealth managers. Things like uh, the Pimco UK Long-Term Credit Fund, with a duration of 11-12. We still have a, some slivers of those type of funds in there, and even direct. We bought 100-year Mexico. We're not we're not scared of duration. 100-year issued in sterling, Mexico. And in dollars, we bought the, the same bond, and, and that's uh, there's something very specific about hundred-year bonds, which we can go into if we have time. So we haven't been afraid of having duration for many, many years, because coots has been a low rate for, for low rates for long. We do see things are changing though. and um, although the, we haven't implemented yet, uh, you, we do see a scenario where it will be somewhat shorter duration in terms of in terms of um, our exposure. I think it's fair to say that. Even though we've had these funds, we're nowhere, nowhere near the duration of the GILT index. The GILT index has a duration of 10, and just on, because we have other fixed income strategies which are much more yieldy and much more shorter duration which counterbalance that. Um, but the GILT index is, as you may know, has a duration of 10, so that's, that's very rarely do you find I think any wealth manager match that.
0: Hmm. What, what about in terms of uh, corporate bonds? So
1: corporate bonds, yeah, we've, we've held, as I mentioned, the PIMCO long-term corporate bond fund. So that's buying long-term. Um, although we do think you need to work harder. So one of our biggest positions, probably risk-adjusted, is financial credit. So um, we really like the so-called cocoa market. Um, and, and why is that? Because we think you're getting paid a, paid a premium for memories of 08-09. 08-09 uh, was um, very painful, as I'm sure you remember, uh, for for a lot of people for all kinds of reasons. But of course, what it does make people fear is the breakup of national champion banks. So we do feel that um, you paid a premium for that, which is surprising in the context that national champion banks have built up their capital. Um, They're a lot less leveraged than they used to be. They're less profitable. So there is a profitability issue, which needs to be addressed. But um, risk adjusted, we think COCOs um, or old tier one subordinate is 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 the way to go and um, so we have big positions there again uh, we don't tend to buy directly in fact as you might know that amazingly i'll probably get in trouble with the fca for this but amazingly the fca say it's quite okay to buy lloyd's bank shares but as soon as you buy the lloyd's seven percent cocoa uh, for clients there's all hell breaks loose um, i don't understand why well i kind of do but i think it's quite wrong mm-hmm. Um, so we're a customer of the fund management industry. So there we own uh, two. We have two big holdings in Cocoa Funds, the, the boutique algebra's, and um, and uh, then the Pimco Capitalisation Fund, specialist financial credit funds.
0: Okay. Is there still opportunity in high yield, or is that past now? Do you think?
1: A big part of it is past. So last, you seem to get every couple of years these great buying opportunities in high yield, and, and last Feb. Uh, was one Feb 2016? Was it w- was one clearly? Um, our analysis is though, although high yields are low, high yield overall yields are low. Spreads are long term averages. Now they've been much wider. Of course they have. There's been much better, <coughs> excuse me, buying opportunities. Of course, but spreads are about average. So you probably want to sit in them, and we do sit in them. and we do own uh, high yield funds, and, and um, although our bias is more towards financial credit, you can see financial credit as a kind of a subset, an esoteric subset of high yield, whereas conventional high yield spreads are about average. The the, the building block of treasuries and bunds are low. So we have some um, because it's hard to find even average value these days, but but, uh, not as big as we used
0: to be. Okay, Uh, something that has preoccupied Portfolio Advisor um, this year so far has been a look at defensive. Assets and and if you have clients who who maybe are slightly nervous about uh, markets and and how toppy they might be looking, how are you allocating uh, for those for those clients uh, in particular the alternatives bucket? Where where are you looking? Where are you finding diversification? Gary, I think that's spot on. I know you, you wrote an article about that which was,
1: was which was very interesting, and I, I think defensive strategies is the is the biggest challenge because. Um, to, to give you a sense of the challenge, typically they're orientated around 25% equity risk, which is quite right, and and, and some of the surveys. So um, getting your 25% equity risk, even if you're just neutral equities, you're going to have 20 to 30% equities, fine. What do you do with the rest? Now, um, in the old days, you could have high quality corporate bonds and gilts or treasuries, and, and the portfolio would be very well balanced and, and worked well, for example, even in 08, 09 that kind of portfolio structure. Unfortunately, the mathematics of bond yields don't allow you, I know, you know, bond yields can give outsized gains, but if you look at gilts, you're receiving a 1.3% income for a potential 10% swing in capital from from just a 1% moving rate. So that doesn't make sense. Of course, we'll have some. So you're right, I think alternatives is the way forward. The key thing is though, don't build up the equity risk again. It can be all too easy to buy the wrong alternatives, or at least the wrong alternatives for Coots. So to give you a flavour, again, what's on our fact sheets, what do we own? We've really worked hard to find as close to market neutral funds as we can, or if they're not market neutral, at least willing to swing and be outright short. So for example, on our fact sheets right now, things like AQR style Premier and BMO, F&C, equity market neutral fund, those betas are are, a bang on zero. You can still lose money on those. those, In fact, those funds did have drawdowns last year. Uh, But the the point being is that they should be uncorrelated with equities and generally they are. Other areas, (coughs) CTAs, familiar with CTAs. So (coughs) the brand of of hedge fund, um, the subset of hedge fund managers that uh, automatically follow markets on a trend following basis, They've had proven negative correlation with equities over time. It's not, of course, gonna be guaranteed into the future. And so we've found a cheap way of doing that. We think in terms of a, a Numura fund, a Numura Cross Asset Momentum, a more systematic way of of of, do, of doing that. Again, that's on our fact sheets. So um, those are the kind of strategies we're looking for. If anything is a bit dominated in the quant space, we'd quite like some qualitative or Judge make, judgmental strategies to balance it, but what we're not interested in is strategies that have a kind of core forty, fifty percent long, because as you know, it's so easy to build up equity risk anyway. And before you know it, you've got your you've taken your equity beta of twenty five point two five up to point five, so you've got to be very careful. But I think it is one of the biggest challenges in wealth management um, because uh, Coots, most cautious clients, uh, you know, are, do want those defensive portfolios. they they're interested in maintaining their wealth and just earning a little bit more than cash.
0: Okay, what, are, what about on the investment trust side? Lots of people talk about uh, uh, some of the infrastructure investments, uh, private equity, aircraft leasing, uh, student accommodation. Uh, are those kind of funds uh, uh, things you would consider? Yes, uh, so, so investment
1: trusts are very attractive and we've certainly bought infrastructure. We own infrastructure in portfolios like Hickel and IMPP. They're quite nice because they tend to be correlated with gilts, uh, or, or have a decent correlation with gilts rather than equities. So they kind of tick that bucket. Uh, part of the issue is is being scalable. So um, it's quite hard when you do, when you if you're in a fortunate position to be managing a large amount of money and want to treat all customers equally, investment trusts become a bit more problematic. So we tend to use them more for either our multi-asset funds where you can trade slowly, or our advisory clients where it's it's. It's as, as the name says, is advisory. Increasingly, unfortunately, with to treat all customers fairly, it is simply impossible to buy 50 to 100 million of an investment trust, as we know, um, but still has a, as a, as a role to play, even in a large firm like Coots, we'll, we'll find room for them.
0: Is that the same with, with some of the uh, absolute return funds as well? Because I know there have been concerns about some of the size of those products and uh, illiquidity.
1: Um, so some of the, ups- so the ones that play in the equity space are pretty liquid and have become quite large and, and don't have any concern. And of course, one of the advantages of being in the absolute return space, if, you, if certainly if you're long short equity, they tend to be very cash rich strategies. So, so ideal to make, to make redemptions. I think some of the credit and lending orientated strategies, uh, I think where if you like loans are held at par and not marked down unless they're impaired. They won't work, but they don't really work in a USIT structure anyway. Um, but I have seen that those worked in defensive strategies because they have unbelievable sharp ratios because they don't go down with the loan market because they're not impaired. Um, but yeah, those need some care, but we're not really in that
0: space. OK, and staying on this uh, bearish theme, I guess, what, what do you see as the biggest threats to investors going forward for this
1: year? So as we speak, it depends when this goes out, Gary, but as we speak, uh, Feb uh, 17, it's the obvious one, but it's hard, to, it's hard to, to, to look any further than the French election. And it really could be bigger than, than Brexit or Trump. Why? Because here you've got a political party that basically says they want out of the Euro, out of the EU, and they're going to reintroduce the French franc. And I notice Le Pen actually went about it in quite a smart way. By talking about keeping the the French introducing the French franc, but keeping the euro as a kind of ECU, I'm old enough to remember buying ECU bonds, and I remember French government used to issue ECU bonds uh, when I was a bond manager many many years ago. So um, that shows she's been well trained, because actually the one thing on the market side about this this negative event is that actually the euro is still quite popular in in France. Uh, The country to worry about is Italy. The euro's really unpopular in Italy that one really could go 5050 so um, you have to be worried about the French election um, because that will the whole question of the of, of the euro will once to come, come come to the fore and there's surely there's no doubt that if they pull out if the French pull out and the French franc is reintroduced surely the euro has to break up the whole thing you, you would think so that's a big risk um, after that, um, who knows? A, a risk could come from anywhere. Obviously, with Trump, the markets are loving the, the pro-growth aspect of the policies. But, you know, we're worried that uh, so his, his language with China gets off on the wrong foot and there's a proper full trade war. Tariffs, we should expect tariffs. Even Obama introduced tariffs in China. Reagan introduced loads of tariffs. He even introduced a tariff, one of my favorite examples, is that t- he introduced a tariff to, pres- to, to um, protect just one company, Harley-Davidson's. Remember Harley-Davidson's? So, you know, you wouldn't think so now. Um, he introduced a tariff on um, Japanese motorcycles over 700 cc's, which is just to protect Harley-Davidson. And... Uh, so, so the Japanese responded with 699cc motorbikes. <laughs> uh, so that my point being is a humorous example. And by the way, great irony. Harley Davidson, you know, got a kick up the backside and started exporting to Japan. And now they're an iconic brand again. So there you go, it's a strange old world. So, so don't be afraid too much of tariffs, but trade war, full on trade war, that's something to be afraid about.
0: Okay, uh, final question for you, Alan. Um, Coots, you're renowned for, for taking a, a contrarian stance on things. Um, give, give us a contrarian idea for, for 2017 that investors should consider.
1: Okay, so let's go through them. I, I, I'll give you things that are in the portfolio because that's the, that's the, then I can give you factual information. The truth is in the positioning. Um, so probably financial credit, financial equity, probably no longer contrarian. I don't know, slightly contrarian maybe. Probably the one that we have in some places, not everywhere. Which is still probably contrarian, uh, although Trump is on its side, is Russian equities and Russian dollar bonds. It was deeply contrarian and unpopular a year, year and a half ago. I can tell you, um, yeah, all hell broke loose when you know that was suggested. But we did it, and uh, for, for the right kind of client, and the Russian dollar bonds for nominal return. Uh, the Russian equities took some time because um, the ruble continued to weaken for a bit, um, but that. That is, and that probably is, you, I, I doubt, Gary, you have many wealth managers that have direct Russian equity in their portfolio there. So, so there you are. You might not expect that from Coots. Just thinking again, what's inside the portfolio, trying hard. I mean, look, that's a small position. The truth is, just like most people in this industry, we have a lot of positions which are also consensus. I suppose I would point to the 100-year Mexican bond in sterling or dollars. We still own that. That's pretty contrarian still. Uh, you know, it's a state of, statement of fact it's in certain portfolios. Whether it will be still there in two months' time,
0: I don't know. We'll wait to see. Okay. Alan, thank you very much. Cheers, thank you. That's it for this week's show. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, do let us know what you think at hashtag PAPodcast on Twitter and suggest some names for us for future interviewees.